Greetings and welcome to Polson Foursquare Church. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I'm happy that you've joined us today. This year of 2023, our focus is Together on Mission. In our teaching throughout this year, we will talk much about how we are all called to be a missional church and a missional people. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 are our theme verses that speak about being a people of prayer and of preparedness and how we are to go out and be witnesses to those around us in our everyday life. So today as we study God's word together, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to you through these messages and pray that you'll be blessed by our podcast teachings and that you'll be edified and enriched in God's word. Thank you and may God bless you all. Um, mourns, we mourn. When we need prayer, we pray for one another. Um, Holly mentioned to me just a few moments ago, she got word from her daughter in Idaho. Um, and this is a, a, a tragic situation that uh, her daughter just texted her that her daughter's brother-in-law just took his life moments ago. Um, and uh, obviously the family is very devastated in, in the midst of tragedy. So um, I just want to intercede for them if we would. Just this moment, um, as I mentioned, you know, the scripture tells us that when, when we, one grieves, we, we grieve together. And so this is obviously in the midst of de depression and, and hopelessness, it seems, um, that this, uh, in, this man would take his, his own life. We, we pray in Jesus' name for your comfort for uh, the, com the whole family. Uh, many of us have been in similar situations. Many of us have experienced family or friends uh, in the midst of the uh, tra tragedy of, of suicide. Uh, and we pray, God, for your comfort. We pray for peace upon them. We, we ask God as they come together, Lord, uh, Jesus, would you shine through even in the midst of uh, uh, seems hopeless and, and, uh, and, of course, in this tragedy of death, Lord, would you shine your light and your love into this, into this death um, but God, would you reign victorious? Would you reign victorious in this family? And uh, comfort them in these days ahead, in these months and weeks, um, as, as many of us have all felt the pain of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, God, uh, it's interesting that God also had a, uh, a protection over Jill and I uh, yesterday, over me yesterday as uh, uh, I, went, I went to uh, Post Falls yesterday to go buy a car. Um, I, my, my previous car uh, went to be with Jesus. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so we were looking online and I found uh, a couple cars I wanted to go look at yesterday in Post Falls. And uh, as always, we stop in St. Regis. Well, little did we know two hours later there would be a shooting at the travel center yesterday. So Jill said, uh, why, do we get up, why are we getting up so early to go there? Well, uh, I'm just thinking I want to get there early and don't want to spend the day, uh, whole day over there. But thank God that he has a way of protecting us from, from tragedy as well. <laughs> so... 
Uh, little did we know, two hours later, and it seems that the, uh, this uh, uh, robbers or whatever they were, were just across the street in this hotel the whole time. So uh, thank God that uh, he protected us. So, you know, you find out later, have you ever see, heard stories like that? You're just like, I was just there. I mean, uh, God, you, you protected me from this car wreck or you protected me from other things that happened. So that was kind of strange driving through there on the way back yesterday and seeing all of the uh, law enforcement and yellow tape around the travel center yesterday afternoon when we returned. Um, but I did get a car. <laughs> I got a car, so I uh, was able to do that. Um, and uh, as you can see, I want to I want to thank uh, Jack and and his team of of employees. They've been uh, you may look out the back window later or go out there if you want and see that we're doing a little remodel project in our backyard and redoing the kids' playground, and we tore out the old trees. And it's going to need, you know, once it dries up, thankfully it is starting to get sunny and dry up out there, that we'll need some fine-tuning and planting grass out there. But um, it's going to look good when it when it's done. And all the drains are going into a uh, a, a drain... What do you call it? Drain tile. Drain tile and into a pit, you know, that we dug down out there. So, um, you know, when we've had heavy snow, water's actually come into the sanctuary over here before because we had so much uh, melt off and we didn't have an adequate system. So I want to thank them for helping us with that. And it's going to look really good here coming soon. In addition, we're going to be doing baseball uh, starting mid next month. Our baseball ministry out here, uh, if you don't know, we have a baseball field out there. <laughs> we have a baseball field, and we actually uh, let our community use it uh, every year. We've been doing this as part of God's vision he gave me years ago, uh, but it's an ongoing ministry. We just minister to our community that comes literally to our front yard. Um, it's what I call my fishnet field. Uh, God said, cast your net on the other side, so... This is our net to bring, bring in the fish uh, in our community, and they literally come right here to our front yard so we can minister to them in the way of candy sales, and <laughs> but also just to love on people in our community and make hamburgers and hot dogs. And uh, Charles, where's Char Charles? Charles has uh, said that he and Bez want to lead the concession ministry again this year. They did it last year, so thank you, Charles and Bez. Uh, but if you'd like to participate, well, not if you'd like, you are going to participate. <laughs> we want you to participate in this because it's really an outreach to our community and we hope that you'll see the value in that and, and that I love it. Uh, it is something that I hope everyone will at least participate once, if not 10 times. I mean, a uh, uh, couple times during the season, so... All that to say, um, we're going to get back to Romans. We started Romans um, a few weeks ago. I was gone uh, in Costa Rica. I was thankful for uh, Jill, um, my beautiful wife, for sharing one week. And then for Mike uh, Freeman, thank you for taking last week's message. Um, there's, uh, I hope you enjoy Romans as much as I do and hopefully as much as Mike does. Mike is always... Uh, Whenever he spoke for us, that he always goes to Romans. And it was, um, 
I never felt led to actually preach out of Romans. It just seemed like God said now is the time because really our focus this year is on being missional, on uh, a missional focus. And really you can't get away from that in Romans because the whole premise and the whole theme of Romans is being missional and the gospel. And so last week, um, just kind of a, a, a recap of chapter one. We're going to be going into a few verses in chapter two today. But recapping uh, chapter one, Paul was giving the very essence of the good news. He was talking about the good news of Christianity, of our belief. And, and so really the gospel is what we bank our lives on. And uh, it is the best news in the world for people who know they need Jesus, that they recognize that they're sinners. I need Jesus. This is good news for sinners, right? Like you and me. Um, and so Paul was saying that in verses 16 and 17, that it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God under salvation for those who believe, both for the Jew and for the, the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed of this good news. Actually, this is the best news we could ever talk about. Have you ever been embarrassed or ashamed to let people know that uh, you're a Christian? Really? Anyone ever been embarrassed in a, in a circle where you were in a group of people and they were ridiculing Christianity? Uh, that you were just like, oh, I don't want to tell people I'm a Christian. Like, oh, they're going to... They're going to make fun of me, or they're going to uh, disown me, or, rec or reject me. I'm not going to be in the group uh, with these people. And so, you know, at what point do we make a stand for Jesus? That we go against the flow, that we aren't uh, compromised by the world, that we actually say, yes, I proudly and wholeheartedly tell everybody that I'm a believer, whether they accept me or not. You know, I, I've come to that same conclusion. I hope you have as well, that you're not embarrassed or you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actually, uh, the, Jesus made it very clear. If you, are, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you're ashamed of me before men, he said, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. That is a very sobering thing that we would be confessing before men and we are not ever ashamed of this gospel of Jesus because that is by which we are saved. In other words, uh, God has a, this great desire to save people, save people from sin and death and judgment. And so he acts in history, uh, throughout history, to provide this gospel. And, and I love that, you know, uh, Mike was even talking about this. The gospel doesn't just start with, with Jesus. Jesus coming, being born of a virgin, and, and then living a sinless life, and then going to the cross on our behalf, and then dying on the cross, and being buried and resurrected. That is wonderful. That is the, the, the fulfillment of the law that Jesus did on our behalf. But that's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel starts with creation in Genesis, you have, to, you have to go to Genesis to know that the gospel starts from the beginning. If you don't believe that God created this world and you and me, then you're missing it. That, that sin originated in the garden with Adam and Eve. 
and that the fall of man then set into motion the law and then the prophets. And, the, and then it would, uh, Jesus would be the fulfillment of that. So you really have to, you can't, ex, you know, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. We don't need that. I'm like, yes, we do. We actually need to see how the fulfillment and the necessity that, uh, of the gospel, and there must be a sacrifice for sin. All of that is important in the entirety of the gospel. So God acted in history to provide the good news, to provide a gospel of which if anyone will put their trust in that good news, we will be saved. That is always and always, uh, forever will be good news. And so Paul later explains in Romans chapter 3, 24 through 26, uh, you know, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, what God has done in history, namely, he sent Jesus Christ into the world to live this perfectly righteous and sinless life, to die in our place so that all who trust in him will be forgiven, will be forgiven of our sins and have this gift of his righteousness, of his righteousness to be freed from our sin, to be freed from fear, to be freed from death and judgment. So when Paul sums this up in verses 16 and 17 of chapters 1 and says the gospel is the power of God to under salvation for all who believe, this is how he explains it in verse 17. For in it, or in the gospel, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith. And so, which means that in the gospel, in Jesus' life and in his death and his resurrection, there is a righteousness that God himself has accomplished for us so that we can have this free gift if we will put our faith and our trust in that. I hope that's true of all of us, that we put our faith and our trust in his righteousness from faith to faith. I trust in him that he declares me righteous in his sight, not because of anything I've done. So the righteousness that he demands from us, he freely gives to us, not on the basis of our work or our efforts of merit, um, but on the basis of our faith. And much of the world is based on merit. They even teach it from kids, you know, in the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. How many have got your, your merit awards when you're... When you're in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, how many cookies did you have to sell to get that? I don't remember. You know, how many Girl Scout cookies did you have to get to get your cookie badge or whatever? Do you know, do you know what? I actually have a Girl Scout badge in my office. I do. I went there to teach a, a class on CPR one time, and they gave me a Girl Scout badge. I am so happy. I got my first aid uh, Girl Scout badge. Oh, man. I am so, yes, how many of you have a first aid Girl Scout badge? I do. <laughs> so, not to brag, not to brag, okay. But at the same time, we can't do that to earn our salvation. We cannot work to gain God's favor in being a good person. And there are even churches today that push that, push that, push that. Be a good person and you'll go to heaven someday. And I'm like, where is that in the gospel? I'm not, I don't see that. 
It's not in the gospel. That is made up by man. God's righteousness and my faith in his righteousness that he would say over us by his forgiveness. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus that he says you are no longer just a sinner, but you are saved. You are born again. You are made new. And that is so important for us to realize that, that God loves us so much in that way. He's not requiring us to be just a good person in our own efforts. It's God providing for us in Christ what we can never provide for ourselves, namely a righteousness good enough to have God's favor. And so God gives it freely. And, he, and if we stop depending on ourselves and we start trusting in him, then we can have that confidence. Thank you, God, for that. And I still mess up. Thank God for his grace and his forgiveness for me. Then all of the rest of, uh, well, really, actually from, from Romans 1.18 through Romans 3.20 is Paul's effort to prove to us all that we need is this free gospel. So this is kind of Paul's introduction, a long introduction that we'll be talking about even a couple more weeks. But he comes to the conclusion in uh, Romans 3.9 and he says, what then are we Jews, he was describing himself, are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. And so in other words, Paul was saying, Paul's aim from 118 to uh, 3 verse 9 to show that both the Jewish people who had all the privileges of God's attention in, in this redemptive history they are his people, and the rest of the world outside God's special dealings with Israel in the Old Testament are under the power of sin, are guilty before God. He says, There's, you are all equal. There's no partiality with God, every one of you, both Jew and Greek. And this would have been radical teaching. This would have been radical for, for Paul to say that being a Jew and and coming from that heritage himself, and but really to say that Jew and Greek are no different. So why such this long section to persuade us that we are sinners? Do we really doubt it? Do we really doubt that we're sinners? Well, in reality, yes, we do. <laughs> the reality is, yes, I sometimes doubt that I'm a sinner, uh, we suppress the truth because we're so uncomfortable with it. We generally make some concessions that we are not perfect. You know, oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not perfect. Of course I'm not. Um, since no one is perfect, but not many people are willing to admit that deep down inside they are really flawed. I'm really flawed and I, I'm proud. I'm selfish. I'm rebellious and therefore separated from God in need of what the Bible calls salvation. Um, and then there are many today that don't believe there is such a thing as sin or hell. I wish that were not true, but it is not. That would be believing a lie. There's many that just say, you know, there's, you know, that's old-fashioned. That's that 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 word. That, that's old-fashioned. You know, when I meet with couples and I, you know, premarital counseling, I, I often will say, you know, 
It's interesting how God puts two selfish people together. <laughs> two selfish people together to become one. And then you have to learn how to uh, compliment and conform to one another and make, you know, put each other first and all that. I said, we're just all selfish. And now we have to stop learning to be so selfish and co consider others more important than ourselves. Oh. We love ourselves. We do. And so we're, we have to go, okay, God, give me the picture of what you want me to see. Show me what it is that I need to see. It And the, basically boils down, down to my selfishness is tied to sin. Where I'm sin, a sinner, God, I don't want to just live in sin anymore. That's behind me. That's my past. And read through, read through John, 1 John. It talks about um, that we don't love the things of the world anymore. If you say you believe in God, you say you love God, you don't sin. I'm like, have you ever read that and go, oh, I don't sin? I'm like... I've sinned, I'm like, I must not be in God's will, but I'm like, that's not necessarily what it was, is talking about. It's saying that I don't live there anymore in my sin state. I don't live that way. That is now not represented in my life. That's in the past. That's not my residence anymore. I don't live there. That's my reference point I might be tempted to go gravitate back into some of those sinful issues, but I don't live there. That's not my residence anymore. So in verses 29 through 32 in chapter 1 again, Paul gave this list of all kinds of things that tend to flourish where God and his word is rejected. It says that people tend to be filled with all kinds of unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, full of uh, evil, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, uh, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. So he's making these, you know, not even an exhaustive list, but he's actually listing all these things here. And then he makes this powerful claim at the end of chapter 1, verse 32, that although they knew the righteous decree of God, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do the same, but they give approval of those who practice them. You know what? We are seeing more now today. The approval of ungodliness. Like never before in our history of our country. Because our history of, our, of the United States of America was founded on the word of God. And the principles found in the word of God. And when we... When we put that aside, when we see it just as a book of fairy tales, and it's not really God's worth and not absolute truth, then we just make up all kinds of whatever truths that we want to come up with. And so we give approval of those who practice such things, and we're seeing that more and more. Approving of immorality, approving of sinful practices, and if you speak out against it, you're considered hateful or wrong. Like I've said for many years, there is a support group for every single sin issue. <laughs> if you like a certain sin, you're going to find someone to approve it for you. Oh, 
Yes. Join our group, please. Yes. You can find whatever you're looking for. But are you going to look to God's word and see what he says and hold to the truth of his word? Now comes chapter 2. <laughs> that we need a careful reminder not to just pass judgment. That the premise of the beginning of this chapter is saying that don't think so highly of yourself as a believer. As professing Christians, we have to be careful of hypocrisy. Many people go to Christian churches, they feel smug, they can feel self-righteous, and thinking, we don't hate God. We're not full of murder and strife and wickedness and all these evil schemes. I'm not, that's not me, of course not. But this kind of person is someone who think, sometimes gives Christianity a very bad name and are not living like a true follower of Christ. And I have to admit, there's been many times that I've admitted to people and I said, I'm sorry for misrepresenting the love of God. I'm sorry for plain and simple being a hypocrite. I've misrepresented the, the love of the Father. And I, I have to ask for forgiveness. I did not, I acted in my own selfishness or my own pride or maybe even acted out of fear. I, I, I apologize. And I've apologized to many people for myself or for the church of being hypocritical and asked them to forgive me or to forgive the church that hurt them and wounded them with their, their self-righteous religious rules and regulations. And I'll be honest that my prayer is that if you've ever blamed Christianity for that kind of hypocrisy, you will see in these next verses of what God's response to hypocrisy is. And that you will make up your mind about God and Christ and his way of salvation, not mainly on the basis of what some religious people have been like, but on the basis of what God is like. Base it on God. He's the best example. What Jesus, how he lived his life. Look to him, because I'm, I'm far from being flawed. And here's what Paul says about these finger-pointing people who are smug in their own self-righteousness. So I want to read these first five verses of all the things that we could focus on in, in verse 1. I want to see these two main things that, that I'll bring up here. God's righteous judgment, he's talking about, is, is what it's subtitled in my Bible. It says... Verse 1, you therefore have no excuse. He's saying of those who approve and practice of these things. He's going into this thought now. You who pass judgment on someone else for whatever, uh, at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you a mere man pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? And we'll stop there. 
Um, oh, well, no, I want to read verse 5. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself in the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Lord God, we do take these things to heart. God, we pray that uh, you would speak through your word as we, as we read today. May we hear this, Lord, and not point fingers, but really take a... a a look at our own lives. And God, where are we with you? Where do we stand with you, Lord, that we may see your love and your kindness that leads us to repentance? It is always your love that draws us in to the good news, the gospel, that we are sinners. We're far from perfect. But God, that we may take a humble and a a very real look at where we are before you, God. That this is the type of person that you say, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And God, uh, that we would do just that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, of those phrases we read, I wanna, I, I wanna emphasize today, God's response to us. That's the title to the God's response to us and his response then to hypocrisy or judgment uh, in those verses we read. Of those phrases we read, there's two things about God that tells us God is kind and God is just. That is what I hope you'll hear today. God is kind and he is a just God. Um, so I want to look at these two attributes of God. God is just. God is a just God. He is full of righteousness. He is uh, the true and righteous judge. And we will all stand before God to one day. It says every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. We will all stand before God. And we will personally have to give our own account before the Lord. Paul says to the hypocrites in verse 1, you have no excuse, and he shows God's concern with justice. If these people had a legitimate excuse for their sins of judge, judgmentalism and hypocrisy, God would be unjust to judge them. But the whole point of this passage is to do exactly what we saw Paul doing in Romans 1, 20 and verse 32 in regard to the Gentiles. He wants to show them that they are without excuse. In other words, when judgment comes from God because of sin, uh, it will not be unjust. No one will be able to raise any legitimate objection to it. Um, so the first thing to learn about God is his response to any hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing another. And, and, and that is really that God is a just God. Um, a lot of people don't want to see God as this just God. And I hear it even in, in different church backgrounds. Oh, we don't, we don't talk about that part. We talk about God's love, God's love, God's love. I'm like, well, you can't excuse the part of God's uh, justice either. He would not be a righteous God if he wasn't a just God. There is punishment. 
And we're trying to, in our society, excuse any wrongs or rights. There's no wrongs anymore. Everybody's right. And so, therefore, we're trying to eliminate any wrongs in our society because if you eliminate God's word, there is really no wrongs, right? There is no such thing as sin if we have no absolute. If we have no standard to live by, then your wrong might be my right. And my wrong might be your right. And so who's, who is right? <laughs> it's like, no one is. So we all will be happy. Everyone will be happy if you just give everything you want. How many of that works for you with little children? God, just, you know, maybe you've even said the saying, God just wants me to be happy. God just happy, happy, happy. God just wants us to be happy, right? Can you find that scripture for me? Can you look that up and get back to me? God just wants you to be happy. Um, no. God doesn't just say, I want you to be happy and give you anything you want because he is a true loving father that knows if we gave everything that we wanted that we'd be spoiled little brat. I mean, uh, we'd be, uh, <laughs> we would be, we would kill ourselves as any loving parent would do. I don't ever give my kids everything they want. I mean, maybe they wanted to go play out in the highway. I'm like, no. Even the Ten Commandments are a picture of God's love. There's actually a book that I read years ago. Um, Ron Mel wrote uh, called uh, God's Tender Commandments. And sometimes we go, oh, they're just do's and don'ts. It's like, no, God's no fun. He takes away all our fun. I'm like, no, and, and the, I love the way that he wrote this. God's tender commandments. He gives us boundaries because he knows how deceitful and wicked humanity is. And so you're, if, you, if I give you everything you want with no boundaries whatsoever, you're going to kill yourself within a matter of minutes <laughs> because you don't know what you don't know until you know what you need to know. And this is what his word tells us. This is our standard to live by. This is why God is a just God. So we, the thing we learn about God and his response to hypocrisy is that uh, he is just and his judgment is coming not on just the obvious pagan people who live in sin that I compare myself to. You guys are really bad. And I'm thankful. You know, like the self-righteous Pharisee that used to stand on the street corner and say, I thank God that I'm not one of those, that I'm not a tax collector, and I'm not all these things. Um, and so they would go through and announce it on the street corners. Maybe we don't do that. Maybe we're not that self-righteous. But maybe we think it. Thank God I'm not like them. <laughs> They're bad. And we have to look at ourselves and go, okay, God, have I been a Pharisee? Have I been hypocritical, self-righteous, judging others? But God will also judge the so-called moral and the religious people who pass judgment on pagans and don't really show they love God. 
If we say that we love God, we'll also love people as well. And that list in, in chapter 1, 29 through 31, that I talked about greed and arrogant and all that, um, gossip, unloving, unmerciful. Have you always been merciful and loving towards others as you ought to be? It's easy to pass judgment on other people and to make ourselves look better than we are. And I'm not saying we aren't to ever speak out, out against certain sin issues. I'm not saying that as Christians we are silent about that because I think there are times and places. First of all, pray. <laughs> pray about it. Pray into it before you open your mouth. But at the same time, there are times we need to take a stand. We're saying, no, we will not allow this. We must take a stand against anti-biblical teachings and indoctrinations because they are godless lies. And they are really doctrines of demons. Absolutely. It's not just we're wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against doctrines made up by demons. And people are sucking it all in, believing everything that there is. Second Timothy talks, Paul wrote this uh, to Timothy in chapter three, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having, if this is interesting, having this form of godliness, but denying its power. And Paul said to Timothy, uh, have nothing to do with them. Don't fall into that trap of these False teachings is what he's talking about. So Paul gives Paul uh, Timothy some final words that I believe really applies to all of us. And he said this also in chapter 3. Uh, you can read the entirety of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. But it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yes, this is God's word. This is the Bible that he's talking about. And then it says, preach the word and be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them the support group that I'm talking about this great number of teachers to say whatever their itching ears wants to hear. And they will turn away from their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Are we seeing a little bit of that today? Are we seeing uh, some resemblance? I think so. When we depart from God's word, when we see the, de we see the decay and the depravity of society, Begin, And it's been and always will be. God and his word is true. God does not lie, but the devil does. 
1 John 1, uh, verse 5 through 10 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful and righteous and will forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not ever sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. How true is that in our world today? I don't sin. I'm not a sinner. Or there's... You can make the claim all day long there's no such thing as sin. But that's a lie. He said it right there. John was saying, we make God out to be the liar if we say there's no such thing. God is just. He is righteous. And he's this loving father that continually, I believe even to the moment we die, extends to us his grace and his mercy. His forgiveness to us is constant, even while we still make mistakes, even while we still at times reject him, even at times when we still. There's, um, there's sin we do consciously and even some sin we do unconsciously. Some things that we just go, I don't even, I don't even know why I did that. Sometimes I just the lie and I don't even mean it. I'm like, oh, where did that come from? It just it's within our sin nature. And again, I have to go, Lord, I put that to death. I don't live there anymore. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna open that door back up again. I'm not gonna fall into that temptation. Because more I open that door to temptation, he gets that foothold in our life. And it's harder to close that door. So we need to make it right. We need to confess it. We must not depart from the word of truth. And we must be careful not to pass judgment on others for their sin issues. Jesus said it too. Also in Matthew uh, chapter 7 in his Sermon on the Mount. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How many like this scripture? <laughs> you do? Okay. <laughs> How many can say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? And he said it, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I had three brothers and we used to fight all the time as kids. You know, just, I'm sure sisters also fought, you know, but I can relate better with growing up with brothers and fighting and wrestling and hurting each other and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, I'd go to my mom and we would always tattletale and do all that stuff. And she'd say, she'd quote the scripture every time. And I'm like, Mom, 
he has the plank and I have the sawdust. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, so, it, but it'd always be convicting. I'm like, I know. I go take my plank out of my yard before I can spec, take the speck out of his. Yeah. God is a just God. And secondly, God is kind. Um, we can rejoice in God's kindness and his love and his mercy. The second thing in this text, Paul writes in chapter 2, tells us about God and his response to us that are hypocrites. And that God is kind. He is love. He is not just a just God wanting to punish us. How do you see God? Do you see him truly as a loving father? He is a father that deeply loves you. Or maybe you grew up with this Godfather view of God. With this Uzi, you know, I'm going I'm I'm to level you because that's how we picture God. Just that, that, yes, we need a holy reverence and fear of God. Absolutely. But we, all, we need to see that he is just, but he's also loving. God, you love me. You don't give me what my sins deserve. In fact, if you notice in verse 4, Paul speaks of the riches of his kindness. That means he is not just a little bit kind. He has this huge resource of kindness to us, to pour out on us. In fact, he is pouring them out on us right now. The eternal life of everyone depends upon the kindness of God, not on our own goodness. It isn't that the perf- imp- uh, it, it isn't that the implication of the other words Paul uses to describe his kindness. He uses the words patience, or he says, or in other translations, forbearance. God is patient towards us. His forbearance towards us is that he's not wanting any to perish. God is, God's justice does not just demand that he punish us for our sins uh, immediately in that, but his kindness towards us, his patience towards us. Uh, in the original Greek, the meaning of that is just like the English word long suffers, long suffering. And it means that God may endure uh, months or years, decades, uh, because of our stubbornness, because of our resistance to repentance. God's patience towards us because of that maybe we were that prodigal son or daughter that rejected God and ran away. And he says, I am patient towards you. He gives us all a free will, and some of us have taken that free will to the extreme. I know <laughs> that some of us are like, Yahoo! <laughs> Someday on my deathbed, I'm going to repent from all of this. And uh, if you, if you want to gamble with your eternity, so be it. But God would pour out his kindness on us and say, right now, today is the day of salvation. The very fact that any of us are alive today, really that we have breath in our lungs, is because of the love and the kindness of God. 
He could have done away with us many years ago and taken us away to judgment. But we are here, and that should really amaze us. I'm amazed by God. His amazing grace saved a wretch like me. How many of you are thankful for God's kindness? I'm thankful I don't get what my sins deserve and not, and not giving us what, you know, the punishment of our sin. Because of the riches of God's kindness, his forbearance and his patience, I am here today. And we are presently under the proclamation of this gospel. And we have a clear word from Romans 2, 4. God's kindness leads us to repentance. God doesn't guilt us. He doesn't shame us into repentance. How dare you? You shame on you for doing that. Maybe that's how you grew up with that view of God. You better get down here and repent. But it's this picture that Paul says. It's his kindness that leads us to change the way I think. We all live and depend on the kindness of God. And my prayer for you this morning is that you will see the love and the kindness of God in your own life. And that because of it, show it to other people. It's the kindness of God that led me to that place of rep repentance. It's the true picture of love that my heart is broken. I am broken because I've sinned before you. I'm, I'm, he doesn't give con uh, judgment and shame and guilt we're pretty good at doing that. But he doesn't give us that. But he does give us conviction. And if we have ever been wrong, if we are wrong, and we just like, thank you, God, for, for just giving us that, that conviction. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And when God leads you to repentance, you will accept that love and that grace and that forgiveness and receive his free gift of forgiveness and then eternal life. When we stand before God and he opens up the Lamb's book of life and he sees your name, and I almost picture that it's written in the, the blood of Jesus, you know, our names written in that. And he says, enter in, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. You know, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about I can't stand before God and blame anybody else. I can't say, well, my mom or my dad did this or, you know, hey, this person's fault. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I stand alone before the righteous judge, before God. And when he can see, I, I, I don't see your sin anymore. Now, Christians have to give an account for since we believed how we've lived for him. Talks about that in First Corinthians. You know, the he's going to take before him all of our works and and, and light it up and to see what's left over. It says wood, hay, and stubble will all be burned up, and then our our righteous deeds before God, whatever's left over, you know, being the the where moth and rust don't destroy, the treasures of heaven where we where we weren't ashamed of the gospel, where we prayed those prayers in the secret place where we did all those things and we gave the cup of water to someone in need or we, we clothed uh, the needy, we, we went to go visit the sick. Those secret things that God sees in humility and he goes, 
That is the treasures for eternity. That is, he sees what you do in secret, even when no one notices. And when, when, when we do things for God, God says, I see it. And that's an eternal treasure that will last forever. But much of our life is the stuff that we just do every day. We're, we're working for the mortgage and we're working for the car payment. We're working for all these things, you know. That just is nothing. It's not for eternity. But when I can stand before God and say, this is not because I, I, I'm doing it for a reward, but he will reward you for those things. Those things that you did. God sees and it's his kindness. And most of all, I just like, thank you, God, that I did not do it to earn my salvation. Your good merit badge, <laughs> it's not, it, even my girls, one, it's not going to matter. Um, it's going to be that thank you, God, that you saved me. Repentance means that you have this profound change of mind and heart and that Really deep down, you say, because I hold to the word of God as truth. I hate these sinful things. I despise them. I hate them. I hate the things that pull me away from God. And I, I hate this hypocrisy. I want to be a changed person. I want to turn to Jesus in humility and faith and say, you are my only hope. Not Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Jesus is my only hope. And trust in him and his word and all the promises of forgiveness and help and life that he brought when he bought, that he paid for when he, and he died. We belong freely to him and really to anyone who believes. And with that, I want to just close in, in prayer. And if there's anyone today that has any any doubt whatsoever, any uncertainty where we stand before God, that today, as I said, scripturally it says, today is the day of salvation. Confess with your mouth, it says in Romans, and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I will be saved. And I believe that just as from the beginning, where sin entered the world and sin separates us from you just as it did with Adam and Eve, that you put into motion a plan of salvation. You put into motion a plan, being the law and then the prophets, the sacrifice for sin. But Jesus, you became the perfect sacrifice for sin once and for all, for me. And I personalize that, Lord. I take it for for me, Lord. You became the perfect Lamb of God that did not sin. You died on the cross in my place. And Lord, thank you. It's your kindness that leads me to this place of repentance. My own sin and plain and simple, even if since I have believed, I've been a hypocrite. I, I ask for forgiveness for that. I ask for forgiveness for any selfish life I've lived. I've elevated myself in pride over someone else. I've been slanderous. I've been gossip about others. And I ask, Lord, for a cleansing. I ask for a changing the way I think, Lord, 
That's what repentance means. And I humbly submit unto you, Lord, my my life. Will you take this, my baggage, will you take the, the sinful parts of me, Lord, and I ask for your cleansing, that I won't live there anymore. And I choose to live for you and live in the kindness of God. But I thank God that you are also a just and righteous God. And that is what I believe. Not because I'm told to believe this, not because I'm forced to believe it or someone else is telling me to believe it. I believe your word to be true. And I pray that is represented for everyone here today, that they may come to that same conclusion. This is what I believe. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God under salvation for he who believes. Thank you for your patience for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if that's you, maybe you... Hey guys, Billy here. I'm the media director here at Polson Foursquare, and I'm glad that you guys could join us this morning. If you guys are looking for more information, you guys can go to polsonfoursquare.org. And if you guys enjoyed the sermon, consider subscribing or sharing it with a friend. Thanks for joining us this morning, and we hope that you have a blessed week.